Welcome to this podcast by City Point Church, Redcliffe. We are so happy you could join us and pray that the following message will encourage and empower you. All right, here we go. I'm really blessed and excited to share the word with you this morning. Um, And as we continue our theme, This Is Us, uh, I wanted to just throw up on the screen (laughs) the top 10 New Year's resolutions that kind of show up each year. Can we have a look at what they are? So every year these kind of resolutions or along these lines will come up regularly as the most popular ones. So we got there, I'm going to spend more time with my family and friends, right? A lot of it, that's always really quite high on the list right around the world. Um, Two and three are quite similar, aren't they? I'm going to get fit, I'm going to lose weight, I'm going to get healthy. All right, number um, four and number six kind of fit in with that. If I'm smoking, I'm going to quit smoking. If I drink, I'm going to quit drinking. Um, Number five, I'm going to enjoy life more. Anyone? Right, I'm going to enjoy life more. Number seven, I'm going to get out of debt. (laughs) Number eight, I'm going to learn something new. I've decided to learn something new this year. I'm not going to tell you what it is until I've nailed it, but I'm doing something new this year. Um, Help others. Anyone need to get more organized? definitely need to be more hands right now than what I'm seeing. (laughs) Some of you are loud and proud. I definitely need to get more organized. So these are the the most common New Year's resolutions that come up year after year. And uh, the next slide is actually some facts about New Year's resolutions. So apparently almost half of us make them, okay? Almost half, 40% of people make a New Year's resolution. But after the first month, we're kind of not doing so great, which is really sad when you consider it takes 40 days to develop a habit and we can't even get to 30, right? And then, but the next one, 20%, only 20 people are left in the running after Valentine's Day. Okay, so by this time, which is why I'm doing this today, because it's the 16th of February, but stats tell us that by the 14th of February, 80% of people have thrown the towel in on their resolution. Anyone? Can anyone say, yes, I've already thrown the towel in? Right, so you're in good company. Apparently 80% of people um, are done by this time of the year. And by the end of the year, only 3% of people make it. Only 3% of it. So how are you doing? How are you going with your resolutions for 2020? And so taking all that into account, what I want to share around this morning, I actually want to ask you a question because uh, I want to I look at something that's a little bit more compelling than a wish list or a set of resolutions, because clearly they're not all that effective. So I want to look at something more compelling. I want to ask you a question that I think if you and I answered honestly would put us in good stead for the rest of our lives, not just for the next year, but for our experience in this life. And the question is, do you have a purpose? Do you have a personal mission? Is your life making a statement to the world around you? I want to ask you, what is the banner over your life? What is the banner over your life? More than, you know, how many kilos do you want to lose or how many more hours do you want to spend with your family? I want to ask you, what is the undergirding purpose of your life? Because that's going to actually determine all these other things. 
And all the resolutions and all the best intentions in the world are nothing without purpose. They're nothing without purpose. I once heard, um, as, a, as a young believer, I heard a message by a guy named Dave Gilpin. And uh, he's one of our keynote speakers at SWB this year, which is really exciting. But back when I was 19 or 20 years old, I heard him preach this message. And he's, he's actually really, really quite um, amusing and entertaining as a preacher. He's very prophetic, but he's very funny as well. And he was preaching about, he likened a person to a red Mini, you know, the car, the Mini Cooper. So he's, he's from the UK, and so he's talking about this red Mini with the Union Jack on it, you know, shiny red Mini. And this is you, right? This is you before you become a Christian. And you're screaming around the streets of life in your red Mini. I mean, you can swap that out for anything. You can be a pickup truck. You can be a Mustang. You can be whatever it is what you want to be. But he's, he's saying a red Mini with a Union Jack, screaming around the streets of life. And you come to the cross. You become a Christian. And he says what happens to most people is they pull their red Mini up to the cross and they swap their red Mini for a beige Volvo. And if you know anything about Dave Gilpin, you will know that he is on a vendetta against all things beige. He thinks beige is a terrible color and that God hates beige and there's one thing he hates more than beige and that is beige Volvos. And he says that most Christians pull up to the cross in their, you know, fiery little car, whatever it might be, and they swap it for the most boring machine of all time in the worst shade possible. And what happens is people come to the cross and hand in their brain, hand in their personality, hand in anything fun and exciting about their lives and live their lives then in a perpetual state of boring, embarrassing timidity. And he encourages us in this message (laughs) to get back to the cross and find our red mini. And to take, because God actually created us with the personality that we have. And what happens at the cross is that we don't lose purpose. We don't lose personality. In fact, it gets ramped up a whole lot. God redeems and sanctifies us and cleanses us, right? but he increases the impact of our lives. He increases or should be increasing the passion level and the significance of our lives. And I often remind myself, Carolina, you turned away from your previous lifestyle for a purpose. You turned away from it, you got saved for a reason and it was not to become boring and timid. And so why? What is this purpose? And so this is what I want to ask us this morning. If we were to get our red mini back, and if we were to put a sign on the back windshield, what would it say as we screamed around the streets of life? What would our life, what would the statement of our life be as we go through our days? And so as I a young person, I decided to sit down and write a mantra for my life. And I want to share this morning out of what I've been living for the last 15 to 20 years. If you look on my social media profiles, you'll see three words that I've lived under for almost 20 years, and they are ransomed and commissioned. The banner over my life is ransomed and commissioned. Ransomed and commissioned. Because being saved 
and forgiven is one thing, but understanding the reason for which we were saved and forgiven is a whole other thing. It doesn't stop at the cross. It starts at the cross. Everything starts there. And too many Christians hang up the keys when they become a Christian. I want to tell you that's when it all started for you. That is when it all started. So to know why. And so as a young person, I wrote down these two words, ransomed and commissioned, that I want to share with you this morning as we look at this theme of this is us. What's the statement over your life going to be? What's the banner over your life going to be? What is the purpose of your waking moments? Why do you live and breathe and move? What is the banner over your life? As a young person, I read this passage in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 to 19. I want to read it together. It says, You must know that you were ransomed from the fruitless and useless way of living, inherited by tradition from your forefathers. Useless and fruitless. You were ransomed from the useless and fruitless way of living that you inherited from your parents and grandparents, from culture, from tradition. You were ransomed from that useless and fruitless way of living. Ransomed not by corruptible things like silver and gold, but you were purchased with the precious blood of Christ, the Messiah, like that of a sacrificial lamb who had no fault, no blemish or spot. He ransomed us. When you and I bring our lives to the cross, something amazing takes place. He cleanses us and he empowers us with grace to live a life full of purpose and destiny. But many people get it wrong here, right at the beginning, right at the start, right at the cross. What happens is God takes the chains off our lives. He doesn't put them on. He takes the chains off us. He liberates us. He frees us. He cleanses us. He takes out all the dings, all the dents in us and sets us off in a greater capacity. A full cut and polish, a full detail. We're better than we've ever been before. We're made new. And Hebrews 10, I'd love for you to to find it either on your device or in your Bible. Put a cursor there and read it this week. Hebrews chapter 10. We're not going to read it together this morning. I'd love for you to read it together with the Holy Spirit this week sometime. Hebrews chapter 10 is the most succinct account of the ransom that we'll find in Scripture. The writer of Hebrews, who we don't know, is telling us what the ransom really is. The writer is talking about our sin. He's talking about the cost of our sin. He's talking about the fact that we'd always had to try to make it up to God. All through generations past, we were perpetually trying to make it right, trying to make up for it. But what happens is when Jesus comes, he pays the price once and for all. As the great high priest of all time, he pays the price that you and I could never pay. And he ransoms us. We're held at ransom He pays the price with his own life, with his own blood, once and for all time. And so Hebrews is absolutely, Hebrews 10 is so powerful. He is truly the great high priest 
who makes all things right once and for all time. But in order to truly appreciate the gravity of things like eternity, things like salvation and sacrifice, we have to first understand the debt that we all incurred. Before we can understand salvation, we have to understand sin. How can we appreciate salvation if we don't know what we've been saved from? You only value the worth of something when you understand the cost it took to get to you. And if we don't understand how much sin costs, we won't appreciate the cross. If we don't admit to ourselves how far from God we are, we won't appreciate the great lengths he went to to bring us near. And so we have to understand the gravity and the significance of the gap that was between us. We have to understand the weight of sin. We have to understand the repercussion of sin. You know, I found that the ransom is something that isn't easy to understand. When talking with people and discipling people, it's not easy for us to understand in this day and age. But one thing I've noticed everyone relates to, every single person relates to this knowing there's got to be more than what I'm experiencing right now. Everybody relates to this longing, this sense of I'm separated from something I know that exists, but I can't quite get there. This sense of separation. And I want to tell you that's a separation from God. And sin is what does that. So while we don't understand the full weight of the magnitude of what Christ did, we can all recognize that we're separate from truth. We're separate from true purpose. There's this longing in our hearts. There's got to be more. And so what Christ did is he closed that gap for us. He closed that gap for us. And there is a place where that longing is fulfilled. There is a place. There's nothing in this world that fills that longing. No matter what we try, we come up desperately empty. Nothing in the world fills that gap. The only place where things make sense is in the presence of God. It's the only place, but we can't get there if we've been bogged down with sin. We're separated from him, from his presence because of our sin. And we know, we long, we, we sense, we have this knowing there's something more, but we're separated from it because of sin. And sin costs a whole lot. Sin, the price of sin is actually life itself. It's life itself. And so Jesus came in our place, gave up his life to pay our price. And that is what the ransom is. God himself put on flesh to pay our price, the debt we could never, ever pay. And all of a sudden, he changed everything. The Bible tells us, and historical documents tell us, not just the Bible, that when that man Jesus hung on a cross, when the drops of blood hit the earth, earthquakes took place. The earth shook. History has recorded this event, that the earth shook. And what happened was this. In the Old Testament, the temple, the dwelling place of God, had progressive 
levels of closeness to God. And the most holy place at the very back of the temple was where God would dwell, where his presence was. And in front of that was a big, heavy curtain from ceiling to floor, heavy, that actually shut humanity out of the presence of God. And only a priest who was clean could go in at certain times to minister to the presence of the Lord. And so this curtain kept us all out except for this one priest who would go in on our behalf. That's why Hebrews says Jesus is the great high priest who goes in on our behalf. And so right through the generations of the Old Testament, they're familiar with the temple and the curtain and the presence of God being untouchable, being somewhere else because we couldn't be in his presence because of how filthy we are. And on the day Jesus died, as his blood hit the earth, as the earth was shaking, that temple curtain, in the physical sense, in reality, actually the temple curtain is also recorded as being torn from top to bottom supernaturally, not from the bottom to the top, but from the top to bottom, as if God himself reached out of heaven and tore that wretched thing in half and said, right now, because of the blood of my son, you have full access to the place you were never allowed to have access. He did it once and for all. He broke that separation and gave us full access to the place we were created to dwell, the, cre- the place we long for, the presence of God. He opened it up for us and he said, you have access now because of what my son has done on your behalf. He ransomed you and now that place that we always wanted to be but couldn't get to, we can walk boldly into Now that place that our soul craves for, we have access to the presence of God because of the ransom, because Jesus paid a price in our place. It's the only place things fit together, and it's beautiful, and it's luring, and it's a place we're created to dwell. This is where every human craves to be. It's accessible because of our great high priest, And he ransomed us from the pain of sin and regret that once held us at ransom by his own body and sacrifice once and for all time. Why does he do it? Why does he do it? Why would this almighty God, maker of all things, humble himself and step into our guilt and our shame and take our place? The Bible tells us that the angels in the throne room of God, they marvel. They marvel, they stand and watch in amazement at the love that this God has for humanity. They can't believe that this all-powerful God cares that much. And you know, I do too. I marvel when I remember and I ask God, why me? Like, who am I that you'd even be mindful of me, that you'd come looking for me in my mess? And he does it because he loves us so much. He couldn't bear to be apart from us. He knew the price that we had to pay was eternal separation from him, and he couldn't bear that reality. And so he sent his son to take the place for each and every one of us. The ransom costs a whole lot, and he paid it. He paid it. And the angels don't understand it, but he can't bear to be apart from us. He saw us drowning in our own sin, our own failure, He saw us digging our own graves deeper and deeper 
He saw me in that pit. He saw me in that pit that I had dug for myself. I remember sitting there in a self-made mess at the end of myself as a 19-year-old girl and crying out to God, I have messed up. This is all my fault. I deserve every bit of what I'm getting right now, God. And even if you don't fix this, will you just come and sit in here with me, in this pit of my own making? Because I've realized that life without you is a complete loss. And just like that, he was there. Just like that, the ransom was effective. Just like that, he started turning things around, healed my body miraculously, miracle after miracle, restored me to places that I didn't deserve to be, turned my mind around, restored my soul, started to build this little house again. Just like that, in that moment, the ransom was effective. In that moment, everything turned around. And he didn't say, yeah, I'm going to sit in here with you. He said, let me get you out of here. And he got me out and he started to rebuild. And since then, my life has just been a series of opportunities to outwork the blessing and call of God on my life. None of us are any better than the rest of us. We're all in that place needing salvation. It's just that we only come into the blessing of God when we admit how far we are, when we realize how desperately we need him. That's when the ransom is effective. In that moment, in that moment, he ransomed me. And I'll be honest with you, there are times and there are still times where I go looking for that pit again. Or I go looking for it because of the unworth I feel. But his hand is always there, guiding me. His call is always in my ear. He's always calling me out. And since coming to a place of accepting the sacrifice he made for the forgiveness of my sins, I've just walked through the opportunities to outwork the commission on my life. I realize I'm not just ransomed. I'm also commissioned. What is the banner over your life today? What is the banner over your life tomorrow? Me, for the last 20 years, I walk under a banner that says, I'm not just forgiven. I'm not just cleansed, but I'm also called. I'm also commissioned. I'm also set out into my generation to perpetuate this great gift that he's given me. And time after time, God has put people in my path to remind me of his purpose. And there's one moment that probably stands out more than some others. And it was a few years ago when uh, Sam and I were on a day off on a Monday. And as we were there, uh, we decided to go down to the water and have fish and chips for lunch on our day off on a Monday. And Sam was at the park at the playground with the kids and I was at the fish and chip shop waiting for my order to be called. You know, they give you the little number, you know, 78, and you're waiting for your number to be called out. And, um, and so as I took my number and I went to sit down at a table nearby, I passed a young woman at a table and I made eye contact with her and smiled at her and I sat down at a table just near her. And after a small, you know, a few moments, I heard her say, excuse me. And I turned around, said yes. And she said, do you go to City Point Church? I said, yeah, I do. And she burst into tears and she slumped over her head in her hands and she was heaving 
like heaving crying. So I got up from my table and went and sat next to her. And I just put my hand on her shoulder and I asked her, what's happening in your life? She told me that the night before, on the Sunday night, her husband had left her. And her husband had left her because over the last 12 months, she'd made some decisions that crippled their relationship. And each decision was more severe than the last, and it got to a point where he was done. And so on the Sunday night before this Monday I was having off, he walked out. And here she was sitting at the same fish and chip shop as me because her boss had sent her home because she was such a distraught mess all day. So she was at risk of losing her job. She just lost her husband. She proceeded to tell me that a fortnight prior, she found herself in City Point Church and I was preaching. And she said to God, if you're real, I want her to pray for me. And so she came out the front to receive prayer. And I don't know what happened, but as I was moving up and down the line, she was missed. She walked out of the service without receiving prayer. And she said, I'm done with you, God. I gave you one chance, I'm done. Two weeks prior to this moment. Fast forward to the water at the fish and chip shop. Her husband's just walked out on her and everything has really deteriorated. And she's sitting there and she said to God, I'll give you one more chance. Send someone to help me. And she said to me with snot and tears streaming down her face, I can't believe he sent you. And do you know what? I realize that most of the situations that God sets up for us are not as blatantly obvious as that. But we face people like that every single day. Every single day with broken hearts, with longing in their souls, with no hope. We meet them every single day. I said to her sitting across the table, God's obviously got your number. So you're going to come to church with me every single Sunday. You're going to sit on the front row with me. You're going to bring a notebook and a pen and take notes. You're going to get engaged with what's happening. You can ask me questions at any point. We're going to meet afterwards and have coffee. And over the six months that followed, she went from having her arms folded to having her arms out in abandonment before God. She received revelation. She ended up being reconciled with her husband. And they now have a family. They have children. Amazing story. But every single day I have the opportunity to meet people just like her. Every single day. And I realized in that moment that I'm commissioned. And I've realized at several moments in my life that are as obvious as that God has commissioned me. He didn't just cleanse me for me. He didn't just pull me out of my dark pit for me. He pulled me out for her and every other person that he lines my path with. And, you know, for the longest time, I wrestled with my past. I wrestled with making sense of all the foolish decisions I'd made. I wrestled with making sense of all the atrocities that had happened to me that were not my fault. I wrestled for so long to make sense of it all until I read a scripture in Hebrews. And my life verse for so many years as God healed my soul Hebrews 2.18, it says, In that he himself has been tempted, can aid those who are being tempted. The very thing God called you out of is what qualifies you. 
The very thing he ransoms you from is what he commissions you back into. The very thing that absolutely destroyed your life is the thing that makes you a real person. It's the thing that allows you to sit across the table from someone who's crying and say, I get it. I get it because I was once not in a good way. But let me tell you about the hope I've found. Let me tell you about the answer that I've found. Our struggles qualify and commission us. King David put it this way in Psalm 71 verse 7. I've become like a portent to many. I've become like a portent to many. The word portent is a strange word. It means by definition, a sign, a wonder, a miracle. David is saying, I have become the sign, the miracle, the wonder. And sitting across from this young woman and sitting across from any person that I have the privilege to disciple and love with the love of Christ, I remind myself, Carolina, you're the miracle. You're the miracle that backs up the word of God that you're saying to this person. There was a praise report that came in last week that Dave read this morning. Last Sunday morning, someone came into a service just like this one, this exact room. This morning, I had a physical need that required healing. A leader came over, prayed for me, and it was healed in less than two hours. That should be normal. And when I read that, I'm like, man, I wish I knew who that leader was. But actually, it doesn't matter because it should be any one of us. When we come into contact with someone and they have a complaint in their body, our first response should be, you know what? I believe God can heal that. Let's pray. Guess what? More people get healed when we pray than when we don't. More people receive Jesus when we share Jesus with them than when we don't. It's amazing science. This should be normal because I'm the sign. I'm the wonder. I am the miracle, the walking miracle that says to a broken person, there's hope for you. There's hope for you. I'm commissioned to you. I'm the, you're the reason I'm still here. You're the reason that God doesn't just save us and take us to heaven. You're the reason that He leaves us here because He commissions us. He commissions us. That we would live lives that back up His spoken word and His written word. Sam often says around home to us, did I ever tell you how good I was? Can you turn to the person next to you and go, I'm a really big deal. Go on. Come on. Yeah. Okay, turn to the other person and just say, did I ever tell you how good I was? (laughs) If you're a Christian, if you've been ransomed, then you are that sign, you are that wonder. You are that miracle straight from God to this world. You are important to many. You have been commissioned. Why did he ransom me? To make a change in the world. 
when she received her Nobel Prize, Mother Teresa said this in her acceptance speech. He died on the cross for you and for me, for the leper, for the dying, the man dying of hunger, and the naked person lying in the street, not only in Calcutta, but Africa, New York, London, Oslo, and I'll say Brisbane, and insisted that we love one another as much as he loves us. And I'll finish here if you'd stand to your feet. I'm going to open the altar this morning. I'm going to open the altar for people who really feel the call. No matter how young, how old you might be, you're hearing the call this morning to live a life of purpose, to live a life that is important to many. Western society is filled with people like Mother Teresa was talking about. They're sitting among us this morning. They'll be working beside us tomorrow, sitting next to us in lectures next month. She'll be doing your hair in the salon and he'll be putting out the bin next door this Thursday night. They're dying spiritually. They're starved of love and compassion, starved of hope. They are just as lost as I once was and just as hopeless as you once were. But you and I, we found our answer. Someone told us about the freedom that we have in Jesus. Someone showed us the way to life. Someone in our world had a banner over their lives that was living out the commission. Shouldn't we pay it forward to someone else? You don't need to know much or be anyone in position or under a title. You just need to have a banner over your life. Winston Churchill said, history will be kind to me for I intend to write it. What is the banner that you're going to write over your life? And Charles Spurgeon made this very pointed statement. He said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Thank you for listening. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. This is the beginning of a life-changing journey. We encourage you to tell someone about your decision and pray and read the Bible every day. We also recommend attending a church in your local area. We have many City Point Church services across Brisbane and the world this Sunday. You can find out more about our service times and locations at citypointchurch.com. We are so excited to see you there.